As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. In 1936, Kansas City native Charlie Parker took to the stage at 16 years old and played so poorly that Count Basie's drummer threw a cymbal at his head. The act encouraged the saxophonist to become one of the hardest working musicians to ever live, and years later, Parker changed the music world forever. Since then, the music scene in Kansas City has gone through lots of changes, and this is a show dedicated to modern-day musicians who live and play in the pairs of the plains. From Tribune Audio Network, I'm Kendall Swank, and this is the Crazeology Podcast. It's February 4th, 2018, and most Americans are glued to their TVs to watch the defending Super Bowl champion Patriots take on the Philadelphia Eagles. For the Eagles, it's been a great regular season, finishing with a 13-3 record and taking home the division title for the first time since 2013. And on that cold winter night in Minnesota, the team's trying to prove they are the best football team in the country. And what better way to do that than take down possibly the best player of all time, Tom Brady. The Eagles jump out to an early lead, but the Patriots fought back. With 9 minutes and 22 seconds left, Brady throws a perfect over-the-shoulder pass to tight end Rob Gronkowski in the back corner of the end zone to take the lead 33-32. The game didn't end there, though. The Eagles drove down the field, and 7 minutes and 1 second after Brady threw the go-ahead pass to Gronkowski, Nick Foles throws a strike to his tight end, Zach Ertz, to take the lead. With 2 minutes and 14 seconds left, it seemed like the Patriots, in dramatic fashion, were going to march down the field for the win until Brandon Grant takes Brady down, knocking the ball free and essentially ending the game. You're probably wondering, why am I talking about this game? And it's because that same night was special for some people, not because of the game, but because something else that was happening that night. There was a short commercial for Apple HomePods and for the band Hembury, the music in the ad introduced them to people here in the U.S., my guests today are Isaac Flynn and Alex Ward of the band Hembry. And before we get to our conversation, let's check out the title track off the band's new album. This is House on Fire by Hembry. What is it that you want from me? You can't earn my sympathy. You went around the world and you hope to see that it was really with the energy. It's never easy, this complexity. Every other hour you're away from me. Oh, it's never easy, this complexity. Every other, every other hour you're away from me.
So let's talk about the new album. Uh, it's called House of Fire. Um, how did it really? How did you guys get it all together? How, what was the process like of you know from writing to recording? When did you start the first batch of songs and demos that would become the record? The like, I think I started writing the record the end of 2015, and then so yeah, basically 2016 is when we really started. I started writing a lot of the record, the first batch of songs, and we started doing demos and tracking it. Um, there's like so many different versions of the same songs. We've like, there's several songs on the record where I think there's, I don't know, four to five different productions. And finally it, I'm, it took us actually making the final album to finish them because I think you. I think once you a deadline is set, yeah. yeah, it's like okay, now we have to decide on the version. In particular, I'm thinking of the. There's a song on the record called "Symmetry Lines." There's so many versions that of for that the song. longest time we had a demo version that we were like, "Oh, this is how the song will be." Yeah, and then we got in the studio and it completely changed. And for the longest time, like I couldn't wrap my head around. I was like, "Well, this isn't this isn't the song anymore." I know. And then it's like, "Oh no." The more you listen, you're like, okay, yeah, this is the definitive version. But this that was a that was maybe like the biggest arguing point on the record. I think it was, yeah. That was the one song that everyone couldn't agree on. It was like, well, you know, we've been playing it for so long for the last three years this certain way. And people were digging it yeah. live, too. That's a whole different thing, trying to capture what happens live on a recording and sometimes it doesn't translate. It's it's so difficult to know um, the, you, what is if it's happening live and it's something that people are resonating with it because of the energy or if it's because the song is actually in its right form, so difficult to yeah. tell sometimes. So when you go on tour, do you ever just play the other versions just to like mix it up a little bit? Like we show throw show? in, we, we pepper in <laughs> pieces of the past. <laughs> we do pepper. <laughs> it's funny you asked that because yesterday we were having a long rehearsal and we were playing the songs the way they are on the record and and they sound good on the record, but we were realizing like, oh, live, they need to breathe a little bit more. So we were yesterday in rehearsal, last minute, right before the record release shows, we were restruct changes. restructuring the songs. Turning into a jam band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think your favorite uh, song off of it would be for each of you? It might differ for everybody, but... It's probably the same for us. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, we just... Our minds are yeah. just so aligned with our thinking. <laughs> no, uh, I, my favorite song on the album is called Heart, and I think that's probably yours, too. I don't know. It, yeah, actually, yeah, Isaac wrote this gorgeous song called Heart, and I think that was the one that jumped out to everybody the first time we heard the demo, and we were like, this song does not need to change. Like, we do not need to restructure it or do much work on it. It's done. And inevitably, we did change it too much in the studio and we had to dial it back to the original demo version. Like, there was talks of like, just send the demo to mix, have the demo mix. Yeah. The demo is the song. We don't need to re-record it. And that was another, you know, kind of not even an argument, but it was like, we had a long discussion like, well, is the professional recording of heart? Does it capture the vibe of the original demo? Right. 
and then we ended up kind of going back. We um, finally found the balance. Yeah, we found a good balance. I, but it's funny because I hadn't listened to the full record. I was t- talking to Isaac about it earlier. And I hadn't listened to the record in several weeks just because wh- while we were in the studio, you kind of almost get sick of it. Yeah. And I put it on again today for the first time because it's record release day. I was like, I can just, I deserve to it. listen to it. And uh, track one, I don't know why, jumped back to me as like being one of my favorite Ooh. songs. It's, it's Love cool it. Too. Yeah. That's great. It's good take. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Alex likes the record. I like the record. I, I approve. <laughs> no, the, it is cool though. Uh, certain songs, it, like ebb, there's an ebb and flow to it. And you're like, oh, this song was kind of not working for me. And then some space away from it, you come back to it. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in on it's this It's not one. too bad. Yeah. It's not too bad. Yeah. Distance uh, makes the heart grow yeah. fonder, I guess. Although Alex just said he's been really digging the track. I don't know. They both ended pretty quickly that heart is something special they both really enjoy. This is Heart off House on Fire. Never 
your guys sounds just it, it's different than a lot of bands like it's you know as soon as i heard it there's definitely this uniqueness to it so how did you guys really come up with the sound like is this something that you've always envisioned in your head as like the music that you want to put out or is this something that you guys worked at to really kind of create something new that's a great question i can say the first especially when isaac started sending the first batch of demos that would become this record both my brother and i who weren't in the band necessarily at the time like we're kind of later additions actually my brother austin and i when i first started getting these demos from isaac it was and this sounds cheesy, but it was exactly the kind of music that I would listen to. It was like, it's indie rock alternative, but it's got some electronic elements and some ambient sounds and weird synth textures. And that's the stuff that I'm drawn to already. So as soon as I was getting these demos, I was like, that's the band I want to be in. Like, that's that's what I would listen to and want to make. And we reeled them in. Yeah. We so got then him it, and his brother. Yeah, and then it kind of worked out. It worked out in our favor that we got to be in the band that I would have listened to anyway. It's awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, such a good question. I think we all had played in different bands, and Alex and Austin um, grew up playing in a band called The Noise FM uh, from Kansas, Kansas City. City, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. And you guys, what I admired about their music is they had a distinct sound, and they stayed true to it. And you, you guys have always kind of we only know how to write one kind of but, song, but I admire that <laughs> yeah. because I think that. Um, people with the trends of, of music and stuff like I ended up in like a full rock band and everyone on earth did. And, and it was a great experience. And, um, but I just love that you guys knew the music that you wanted to make and you've always done it. And I think Hembry, when I started writing this record or even the first EP, it was like, this is actually the music that I'm into. And for the first time I felt like this music represents what I like listening to. You're not and chasing a trend necessarily. Exactly. It's like Just it's doing a what representation you're, what you're of into. you. And I think it's, it fits our personalities and it fits like the music that we're into and in that we all do appreciate classic songwriting and, um, you know, old rock and roll and stuff like that. But because we are younger in the grand scheme of, um, rock bands and everything like we did grow up in an era where we had access to technology synthesizers computers samplers and because that was all at our disposal when we were in junior high and high school and stuff um, we started messing with that at such a young age and I wanted to make sure to keep incorporating that and it's just it's fun because like on our album there's a lot of sampling whether that's like sampling different vocals and chopping up audio or creating our own synthesizer sounds and stuff like that um i wanted to make sure to try to incorporate as much of that as possible because what's cool about sampling is that there you can make any sound you want like we could take something from this podcast now i could say the word now and then chop it up pitch it up pitch it down yeah and it can you can turn it in spread it across the keyboard i'm explaining yeah. all of sampling but a lot of people i love do. this tutorial yeah so what you do is you you spread it across your keyboard and it pitches it to every pitch of a, a keyboard um but it's cool because you can make something so unique and totally its own thing and i just wanted to try to do that with the tones on the record and then um the guy that co-produced the record with us is this guy in nashville named eric hillman and the way he thinks about music is kind of different than anyone I've ever met. And his sound selection is just so unique. 
And he definitely influenced me a lot, too, in mm. terms of production and sound for the record. And, and Eric specializes in video game sound production and yeah. scoring video games, so he's got this, you know... Atmosphere. Yeah, a completely different idea of thinking about music that he was able to bring those elements when we were writing the record, too. That's why there are... You know, the record, in my opinion, is... The songs are pretty concise. Right. They're right to the point, but there are a lot of, like, ambient, spacier textures going on in the background that you wouldn't expect to hear in, like, pretty straightforward rock mm. pop songs. Yeah, and it's funny. People will be like, so, producer on the record, um, what other, like, indie bands does he work on? Like, None. <laughs> video games? Of course, video games. So how'd you find this guy, then? Just he a big is, fan of video games, yeah, man. Yeah, we were just gaming. <laughs> we love the soundtrack. At one point in time, we had the same managers. Okay. And... Our manager at that point in time, he also plays in kind of like an electro folk indie rock band. Um, and our manager managed them, and he's like, You guys just got to link up and just kind of did a test session with him and hit it off. Our personalities really gelled. And um, he has a home studio in the back of his house in Nashville, and it was just so refreshing because studios can feel really sterile, and his place is just like, the back of his house, you have dinner with his family, you literally go take his kid to the park in the morning, hang out, drink coffee, go back to the studio, work all day, and then, you know, have some wine at night. It's a great... Did he know you were taking his kid to the park? <laughs> he did, <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm like an uncle to them. <laughs> I just like, hey, don't worry about it. I'm babysitting. <laughs> oh, jeez. He woke up every morning. Like, Where's yeah. my son? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hanging out with Uncle Isaac, man, playing basketball. Um, but no, it was just a very, he has a very, his personality is very like calming mm. in the best possible way. And that's what I feel like we needed. I pace around the studio stressing about, oh, maybe that, maybe that. And he's like, it's all fine. You know, and, and that was really good for us, I think. Yeah. So when you play live, are you still using the same samples and just like going through a laptop or, or are you, um, or are you using synths and other stuff to yeah. try and create a new sound that's different from the album? It's a little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of both. And we've sure. kind of been figuring that out in rehearsal because the downside to, to matching the record perfectly is that you would have to, we found, is basically play to a track or a laptop, you know. Right. And you'd be pretty strict on what you can do and as far as like, you know, if you're going to vary from the the track at all so we've been trying to be more organic about it in rehearsal and figuring out like let's not play to a click or a track as much as possible so that we can you know get loose with it and in doing so we're we're jamming we're jamming a little more <laughs> but we're also you know like um we're finding some different samples that maybe aren't exactly the ones from the record but they work in the live setting better so it's, you know, like yeah. the, the live set's kind of an interpretation of the record a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and our keyboardist Eric has devoted his life to figuring this He's a gearhead, yeah. Out. Yeah, <laughs> and he so he's running samplers on stage and then, um, you know, kind of emulating some of the sounds from the record on, on his synths and things like that. But he's definitely, he changes it up and mm -hmm. puts his own spin on it too. It's kind of a good balance because um, I think if you came to a show and you saw us, you'd think, oh, yeah, they're replicating the sounds from the record. But it's very it's more organic than just like a computer looping it mm -hmm. to a click track. It, and I 
I don't know. As music nerds, I think we were pretty stoked that it's not just like the backing track. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's the tough balance to strike too. Because I think about myself as a music fan going to concerts. Sometimes it's like, do you really care if they yeah. if it sounds good? It sounds good. It sounds good. And then sometimes you're disappointed if the band doesn't sound like the record. But sometimes you know that's also a bummer if they sound exactly like the record. So you got to strike that balance of right. You know varying a little from the recorded music you know but not so far that you're alienating right. you know the listeners or the fans and do people notice i mean do you do you get people that come up afterwards that are like oh it sounds so much different or anything like that i think well i don't know hopefully now the people are hearing the record yeah they'll have stronger opinions about it for better or worse this is the first time of any music that i've made that i've been a part of any band or anything that i feel like the energy of the record actually comes close to matching the live show we worked Mm. really hard to try to capture as much energy as possible because you know with recording anymore you can edit so much and you can Mm -hmm. you can over edit and really kind of take a lot of the life out of a song on a recording because you can make it so perfect so we tried to keep some of those imperfections in there on this mm-hmm. album and and took more risks than I, I for more risks than I ever had and it opened up the floodgates because now I'm just I don't know our next record might be super out there <laughs> <laughs> like Alex sampled like a stream the other day and I was like text me that I'm oh, gonna yeah, put that in a right. song you know so you're you can you just sample anything anything can you yeah I mean, there's, well, like, there's certain things that work better than others but um like on garage band on my phone on a flight there was a kid crying and it has a sampler built into garage band that's how i pass most of my time on flights <laughs> recording just, like kids crying yeah, like, no, not specifically that writing song oh. on the plane um i think i've written three or four now on, a, on, on garage flights. band on, on flights yeah. yeah um but yeah you can kind of create any sound you want and that's what's so cool about like I don't ever want to stray away from embracing some of the modern technology because it's pretty crazy all that we're capable of doing mm-hmm. with audio now. There's a lot going on inside each song Isaac writes, and if you wash away some of the electronics and samples from the music, you're left with the foundations of music. Rhythm, harmony, melody, and lyrics. If you look at a musician's lyrics, sometimes you can find how they feel about the world, the arts, and the culture and the places they live. Isaac wrote the song Culture about how he feels things are like in the U.S., and he admits it's one of his more political songs. The song talks about how we're all fed so much information by gatekeepers in today's society. We're basically told what to like, eat, and even what music to listen to. He says the idea behind the song is a call for people to think for themselves and establish their own opinions. This is Culture. They want to pull you back down so you can't get out, no you can't get out Is it really worth it? Running with the crowd Pretend everything's perfect It'll all work out, now you can slow down, now you can slow
enjoying this episode make sure to click subscribe and tell your friends about the crazeology podcast also make sure to check out other podcasts from the tribune audio network including those from fox 4 kansas city just head over to fox4kc.com to find new episodes of signal hill with nick vassos getting comfortable with mark alford and abby asks with abby eaton now let's get back to my conversation with isaac flynn and alex ward from the band hembry Alex, so the majority of your the your the band's lyrics are written by Isaac, mm-hmm. and so how do the rest of you guys really? Um, I mean, do you always agree with everything? Is it something where you you say, "Hey, I don't want to play this song because it doesn't reflect my opinion" or anything? Well, this is going to sound a kind of a, a cheesy answer to get back to a little bit about our musical tastes. Again, Isaac is, usually sends fully fleshed out demos, even with a lot of like guitar parts that you traditionally would think like oh the a lead guitarist will write that part and the drummer's going to play this but Isaac because he can play all the instruments he started as a drummer originally Isaac did uh the demos are pretty well fleshed out and there's only been you know all I you know not not to take away from my contributions to the record or anything <laughs> but all I've really done is augmented the parts that are already there because there's nothing that you've ever sent that I'm like oh, oh that's lame you know, well, all I can you. do is either, you know, try to improve upon or just play the parts that you Yeah, but you guys definitely good. improve, for and I think, sure. Well, and it's it's like that I can say on behalf of Austin, too, because my brother, the drummer, respects Isaac as a drummer as well. So the parts are already pretty well written. I'm trying to think, I, I can honestly say on this record, there was nothing that I was like, eh, I don't really want to play that. <laughs> you know, there were parts where maybe I've changed a couple notes or... And I, and I think gotten more with, rhythmic with it or something. Yeah, and I think with the question about like the lyrics, I think we're all pr- pretty like minded mm-hmm. in our views. And um, I wouldn't you say? I mean, I think that we all kind of are in a similar arc train of thought with yeah. whether it's politics or uh, how to treat other people or equality. And it's all I think very aligned. Yeah, I would yeah. say. Um, so. I, I would tend to think that whatever I was putting out there that they would agree with. And if I was saying something out of line, I hope they would call me out. I, I hope that I'm not. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't... It's 
the lyrics, has anyone ever in the band been like, I don't know if I appreciate that lyric or how about changing this? Not really. I mean, other than like, hey, maybe that lyric's just not like flowing that mm. well in the song. Mm. But mm. from a message standpoint, no one's ever, no yeah. one's ever. And if they do, I will. I will freak out. <laughs> Alex and his brother Austin were late additions to Hembry, but the pair have been playing music together since they were in middle school. And this usually creates a unique knowledge that allows for each of them to understand what the other one wants to do musically. I would say like um, Austin and I, we do have kind of an unspoken language where we're in the studio or even in rehearsal every now and then Austin will start saying, trying to say something and I'll just know right away like, oh, I know exactly the, what right. you mean on the break. And then I'll have to explain it to like Eric or someone else in the band like, no, no, here's what we're going to do. Or Garrett will look at us like, what are you guys talking about? We're like, oh, okay, we'll use English language now and explain yeah. what we're <laughs> speaking we Ward. Yeah. And they also refer to each other as Ward back and forth. So, it's hey, a, Ward. We're, we're Ward. Singular, singular <laughs> units. Yeah. We're both Ward. But uh, I feel like, you know, we've also, Isaac, we've known Isaac forever and we've always performed together in various bands. So we also have that kind of unspoken language too. Definitely. Like I think we're on the same page as we well. are. We've always thought very similar thoughts about music and, and songwriting and production. We all, we were such good buds with these guys prior to playing in a band together. So it was just such a no brainer. Like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get the, the singular ward. That singular ward in, <laughs> in the band. <laughs> So even though you've been you've known each other for a long time, you guys seem close. You um, when conflict does arise within situations, I mean, how does that really go? Because obviously you have to find a way to put it behind you and move forward to keep putting out. We're just terrible at it. We just hate confrontation so We're very much. Very passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> I think we went on tour in Europe and we got in this argument about like. Whether Alex should sing unison with me or if he should sing an octave under. <laughs> and Alex was just like, I think the octave under sounds better. And then I was like, I think the unison sounds better. And then Austin was like, because they, you know, the Ward brothers, they. Ward. Yeah. Just Ward. The Ward. Yeah. The Ward <laughs> thought the lower harmony or the, the low octave was the right move. So it just, it was. It stayed. <laughs> well, no, I think we ended up going, I think we switched it by the end of the tour, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. I must have thrown a big enough fit. Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I'm just like, no, it's going to be. You stormed off stage. Yeah, stormed you off threw stage, your water bottle Smashed down. the guitar for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, if that's the biggest conflict we've ever had, then I think we're all yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the things that we, we, we haven't had that many arguments yeah. there's not that much confrontation which is funny like i said our rock and roll credibility is just like at zero right now yeah there's never <laughs> been an argument and the, part of it is we're not as young we're not i don't want to say we're an old band or anything no, but, but we're also not as young because we've been playing together since middle school and i think those earlier bands maybe that we were in you're you put up with Conf, you know, you put up with conflict more because you're not used to any, you don't and know anything when else. When you're 20, you have so much to prove. Yeah, there's a little more angst. And I, then at the age that we're in, late 20s, early 30s now, it's right. like, I don't have time to be no, no arguing one, with someone. I'm only going to be in a band if I'm getting along with these people. Exactly. Because I, I, you know, when I was in bands in my early 20s, it is. Everyone's trying to prove something mm -hmm. and everyone's got to play. Oh, my part has to be better than this person's part. Or, um, like I got to write this song or I have to do that. And I think we're at the age where we're like, it's working. Why would we throw a wrench in it? Why mm -hmm. would we intentionally derail this? Um, with, I guess, yeah, really just 
getting older is actually amazing because you, you <laughs> stop, mellows you out. You mellows you out. You lose your ego a little bit, which is great. You don't feel like you have as much to prove. You're just happy to be hanging out with your friends and making tunes. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about uh, another song off the album, Symmetry Lines. Jealous, can anybody tell us? Is everybody jealous or are we just afraid? metaphor for yeah, something totally i mean yeah trying to f- strike a balance for sure in just life of um and a lot of the record i was writing it in my early 20s so i'm 27 now started writing it 23 24 and that's a weird time of life actually because yeah. i was actually just talking to my <laughs> to an uber driver about this because <laughs> he was 23 and um he was like man it's so tough like i just I went to school for finance. Sorry, Uber driver. I'm putting it all out there. (laughs) But he's like, I went to school for finance, but I don't want to do that anymore. And uh, he was back at home. And I was like, man, it's all going to be fine. You're you're 23. And at that point in time, though, it's really hard because you see certain friends like they have jobs and they work at an accounting firm and they just bought a house or like they have their life together. And then you're like, don't know what you're doing and yeah, there's yeah 20 i'm just thinking at 23 we had people that were going uh to medical school exactly. friends of ours and we you're were playing in a band yeah, literally sleeping in a van in a walmart parking <laughs> lot at the same age right and um that at that age i feel like for most people there's this like searching and longing for like what am i and what am i going to do with the rest of my life and there's a lot of that on this album kind of a coming of age type of record where when I was making the album, I was trying to figure out the answers to a lot of stuff, whether it was, okay, is this band going to work? Is, um, you know, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? How do I play music professionally? How do I put, how do I eat, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. And, um, so there's a ton of that on this album and symmetry lines definitely about trying to strike that, that balance of just, in life there's a balance to everything everything in moderation and stuff and um just that frustration of just not knowing what you're doing and um musically this is the song that went through the most permutations from the original demo to the final recording too right it's it's and it's funny because i we like to i like to do this a lot and we do it a lot it's lyrically um it's definitely there's a message to it but then the song is just like a dance rock Mm -hmm. song and i I like blending those things like you know happy songs sad lyrics or vice versa all that stuff do people notice when you're doing that kind of thing like i I think some people notice some people do because yeah and that's something that i've always been drawn to is that that contrast between um i think about some bands that we really like well even gorillas or uh, a band that we toured with called junior junior they write kind of joyous 
sounding songs that have very sad lyrics and it's something that catches me off guard i'm like oh what a wild contrast it's totally. really cool that mm-hmm. you're dancing to something that makes you want to cry kind of like robin yeah her robin's entire mo is bittersweet heartbreak right. songs with you know beautiful dance beats which i love and i, and I think that it oftentimes music kind of has to go that way because if you're just like happy song happy dance beat um I mean, it works. You could definitely, you get a, that's where you get a Timberlake, can't stop the feeling. Yeah. You know, you're true. playing at weddings forever. And that so. that song was a hit. <laughs> that song you know? was a hit. So <laughs> that, it, that one it did all right. definitely work. The album itself is House on Fire. Where's the, where was the thought behind naming it this and what, what's the, the story? There's the whole story with the song House on Fire. Like there's a whole theme to that track and everything. Um, but v- very literally, the record felt like a house on fire because it was made mostly in homes. <laughs> um, all the vocals were recorded in my loft. A lot of stuff was recorded at our producer's house in Nashville. And then the main portion of tracking was in my parents' house, the childhood, my childhood home. Um, they're musicians. And I was just like, Hey, I've always wanted to record there. And I was getting ready to move. And I was like, maybe this could be the place where we do our record because they have these this kind of vaulted ceiling and I always thought the drums would sound good in there. So I called them up and I was like, hey, um, we our label said we can make our record wherever. Can we do it in your house and take over your house for like a week? And we did. And it was awesome. It was super fun. Um, the label gave us $5 million. Yeah. <laughs> can we use your house for free? Yeah. <laughs> $5 million. So how does that work then for people who aren't really familiar? Um, like, you know, your label says you can record anywhere. Do they send an audio engineer and all this stuff out to you? Do they just hear some equipment and record on this? Or I don't know how the major labels work. We're fortunate enough to have a, a label called 30 Tigers who aren't one of the majors, but they're in the... The trade-off being, you know, they're not giving us $5 million, but they're giving us creative <laughs> control. They didn't give us Teslas. Yeah, they, <laughs> we didn't all get a Tesla to drive to the studio every day. But they gave us so much control and freedom. It's like, well, you know, where do you want to record? Right. We'll help you make this happen. Yeah, they let us kind of see our vision all the way through. Which was very cool. Yeah. And it's definitely because of, the, of technology, you can make a pretty good sounding recording almost anywhere now. Um, so I think back in the day, it was like... You're going to go and do the session, and if you are a solo artist, here's the session musicians and stuff like that. But now there are hits on the radio of someone that made it in their bedroom, or you know, it, it can be done anywhere. I was talking to a guy that was like, "Yeah, I did a session with this guy the other day, and he um he does everything on his laptop, and he he got his start just making songs in Starbucks." Like he'd go to Starbucks and just be programming stuff on his laptop. And then now he's writing gigantic songs. And I think because we have the technology to do things like that, it makes it so a label feels more comfortable saying like, okay, you guys seem to have a process. We don't, we don't want to interrupt that. We don't want to mess with your workflow. So if this is what is creating, if the result is this, cause they'd heard our previous stuff from this process, then like by all means, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And, it was perfect because we were able to do the same process that we had on previous recordings, but have a label involved to help us, you know, get a, a mastering engineer that was at, at an elite level, like out of our league. for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He worked on so many crazy records that are like born to run and stuff like Springsteen. And it was cool because we had more resources 
to better our process, which was really fun for us. So then, I guess, can you guys explain a little bit for again for people who aren't really super familiar? Um, outside of just the recording resources, what else is a benefit of being a signed to a label, even if it's a smaller label, rather than just trying to do it all yourself, indie? They have the connections. Basically, they they set us right. up with a wonderful PR team. Um, the person who one of the first people to really believe in the band worked for this label. That's how we ended yeah. up with 30 tigers. Her name was Rose. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to make it too much about, a the difference between like a major label versus more of a smaller or an indie label, but just the fact that that entire team believed, believed in us versus a major right. label, the bureaucracy of not knowing who you're, you know, we've heard so many horror stories from yeah. and bands I, that we're friends with who have been on a major label that I think either one can work mm-hmm. out in your favor. If you get the right, it's, it's interesting because they're, they're all just companies, you know, and people work at companies. So it's all about the right team yeah. and the right people. Finding the so people that believe in you. whether that's at a huge major label or like, uh, like 30 Tigers is a really well-respected indie label. Like uh, Jason Isbell is kind of one of their main people and they've done so well with him. And um, Or it, it could be someone who started something up in Kansas City, you know, and they they just work and believe in it. So it's all about the right team, I think. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and people believing in it and, and being willing to work really hard to to fight for your project and get you out there. Um, so a label definitely has its advantages and as we know and the music industry has taught us that it if you're not careful it can also have its disadvantages but we feel really fortunate because we landed with a great group of people um and the biggest benefit is they allow us and give us the time to focus on the music part of things where they have you know they're taking care of the uh the business side of things that you know normally if you're diy doing it on your own and we've all been we've all done that situation where you're Mm -hmm. When you're not rehearsing or writing, then you're sitting out cold call emails trying to get booked or getting Booking a radio your own station shows. is the worst thing in the world. Yeah, power <laughs> every, every band, every artist yeah. who does that. And, you know, we still do that a bit, too. But fortunately, we now we have a booking team. But any musician out there listening to this knows that booking your own shows is the worst thing in the world. It, you're at the whim of it, any Some random dude venue. in Cleveland yeah. who you're like. Hey man, can we can we play here? And he's like, "Why?" <laughs> well, I, yeah. And I noticed you only have 500 likes on your Facebook. Exactly. I'm sorry, we don't book anyone less than yeah. 2,000 likes. Well, what's that have to do with anything? Yeah. So, uh, for anyone listening, we may have think we may have reached the place we're at now, but we, we, we we've done it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't actually have to say the venue name, but what would be like the worst venue that you've ever like? What was the environment that made it the worst venue you ever played one at yesterday? Well, Oh boy, there's been, <laughs> and again, any band or musician listening to this knows that there are horror stories where you'll roll up to a venue and you're just flabbergasted that that it exists. <laughs> Do uh, you? We were talking about a specific show yesterday, but I can't oh, quite remember well. what it was. Um, you don't forget the bad ones. I'll yeah, say that I've, much. Apparently we're blanking on them. Um, I'm just trying to think of like we, the worst. One time we played before Alex and Austin played with us. We we played a bacon and beer festival <laughs> that there was a thousand people at, but they did not care about the band. They only wanted to eat bacon and drink beer and drink beer. <laughs> 
And it was one of the weirdest experiences because you're in a massive convention center and there's people everywhere. But like I could have said anything into the microphone and they would have not paid attention i could be like there is a fire you all need to get out of here and they're just like wolfing down (laughs) (laughs) this one's applewood smoke exactly (laughs) oh we played one time uh a band that i'm in uh we played in bowling green kentucky this might be too specific now but i'll just it was (laughs) used to be a from all appearances it at one point may have been like a vfw or something a vfw hall but it'd been run down and converted into like a diy venue and the, we played a heavy metal showcase, and our band is most definitely not heavy metal. And we were in the middle of it, and there were only maybe nine people there to begin with. But one of those people was an elderly lady in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank. That the sound guy was his, must have been his grandma, but he was in charge of caring for her, and he had to take breaks from running sound force so that he could run over and adjust the air pressure on his grandma's oh oxygen gosh. tank. And she was in a wheelchair pushed against a wall oh, facing no. the wall the oh opposite gosh. direction of us and as soon as we were done we were like all right we we, gotta get we need to reevaluate what we're doing <laughs> yeah, with our lives <laughs> bowling green kentucky oh man i remember one time in a previous band that eric was into we played in columbus ohio at this place called bernie's that i had my i, I was right out of high school and I just so desperately wanted to go on tour because I'd never been on tour. So booked a tour for our band and my then girlfriend, now my wife, um, was doing a summer like program at Columbus College of Art and Design. So I conveniently booked like three nights in Columbus. <laughs> a residency. <laughs> yeah, a residency, <laughs> exactly. Um, but one of them was Bernie's and it was a crazy like, I mean, it sounds so bad, but people just like out front strung out, kind of, kind of scary almost. Mm-hmm. And then we went in and played and the sound man was like literally in like a cage and there's no one in the crowd, but this old man <laughs> who apparently was there every night is what we found out. And he goes up to Eric and he will not stop. He's relentlessly telling him to play Batman <laughs> play oh. batman, <laughs> batman. <laughs> yeah he's like do you know batman and there's nobody in there except for this other band from canada and i felt worse for them because they had like come from canada and they were on tour <laughs> but still i was like oh this tour is striking out um and they're sort of watching us but you can tell they're so just discouraged that that's what's happening they're yeah. reevaluating their lives at yeah. that point in time. a lot of reevaluating <laughs> yeah, of lives exactly on the road. and uh <laughs> He's like, play Batman. And somehow Eric actually knew how to play it. So then there's nobody in there. And Eric's like, and the guy goes, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) That's like all I remember from the show. Oh, man. But I know there's more. There's. There's been so many hilariously bad gigs, and you laugh at them now. And you and right. when you've played some bad ones, you really you then you don't take the amazing ones for granted. Yeah, that's true. That is true. We are st- we'll go play shows now, and we're like, "What's up with the people? What are they doing here?" You know, and we're blown away. <laughs> we're by blown it. away that anyone's at the show. Yeah, Alex and Isaac have come pretty far from those days of playing bad venues for few people, and they've come even farther since that February night in 2018. Make sure to follow them at HenryMusic.com for tour dates and buy the album House on Fire. 
Today's episode of the Crazeology Podcast was recorded at the Fox 4 Studios in Kansas City, Missouri, and was produced by myself, Kendall Swank, with production assistance and editing done by Mike Simpson. Make sure to check out all the podcasts from the Tribune Audio Network, including those from Fox 4 Kansas City. You know, I put this episode together while drinking a large glass of cold brew coffee. I've gotten in the habit of chugging a bunch of cold brew, and then immediately, like, my brain starts, like, going crazy. Crazy. You can't think straight anymore. Oh, it's, a, it's insane. It messes with you. Yeah, I love it. Until next time, this is I Don't Know Why by Hembry off House on Fire. Oh, my God.